Morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Hey, my name's Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It is an absolute pleasure and joy to be with each and every one of you. Uh, I've got a couple announcements, and I'm going to fly through them uh, because I've got a a big message to give today. So announcement number one, we have starting point today. If you're new to Grace Point Church, what a Sunday to show up. Uh, We're glad you're here. Maybe you've been uh, to Grace Point for a while or Las Vegas for a while, and you haven't connected. Today, 430 out in the lobby, just show up. We'll all be here. It'll be a great time to meet each other informally and just talk and uh, learn more about one another. And then second, uh, we'll have a Covenant Partner class. That's our membership in a couple of weeks. That'll be our last one for the summer. So make sure if you want to be a member, we'd love for everyone to be a member. You get to find out all the ins and outs of Grace Point Church. Sign up for that. Sound good? Cool. Hey, um, I want you to know that I love you. I, I really do. I know like some of you hear that like, that's like pastor talk. Pastors are supposed to say that. Well, we are. Uh, but genuinely, I, I, I do love you. I know a lot of you. I know a lot of you well. I know some of you kind of well. Some of you I don't know. But I want you to know I love you. And what I want more for you and myself as well is I want Christ in us. And so uh, this morning, I want to begin. It's uh, an adaptation that I did of uh, prayer of St. Patrick. And if you just want to be in a posture of receiving this, I want to pray this prayer over you before I begin. It goes like this. May God guide you. May the eyes of God look before you. The ear of God hear you. The word of God speak for you. May the hand of God protect you. The way of God lie before you. The shield of God defend you. The host of God save you. May Christ shield you today. Christ with you. Christ before you. Christ behind you. Christ in you, Christ beneath you, Christ above you, Christ on your right, Christ on your left, Christ when you lie down, Christ when you sit, Christ when you stand, Christ in the hearts of everyone who thinks of you, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of you, Christ in every eye that sees you, Christ in every ear that hears you. Amen. Well, today's going to be a little controversial. I don't mind that. Why? Because I have confidence more today than I ever have in the Word of God, and I want to share that for you today. And I do request that you don't leave uh, in the middle of the message. If you wouldn't mind, let me get all the way through it before you make kind of your assessments of what you want to do and don't do. Uh, But I do ask that you would be open to hear God's word today. And here's the reality. Let me start with this kind of all of us on the same ground together. We are all sinners in need of a savior, each and every one of us. And so when you hear this message, listen to me, some of you really need to hear this. This message is not load up your guns, good people, so we can go blow blow away bad people. It's not that at all. It it is this. We are all bad people, and God is the only one who is good, and so we all need a Savior. Sound good? Okay, so today we're going to be in Romans 1. Go ahead and take your Bible and go to Romans, but we're going to start in Romans chapter 12. I want to start there, but then we'll go back to Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you're you're going to need a Bible here. We lead, teach, and preach uh, from the Bible. We actually go through typically books of the Bible. That way we hit text like we're going to hit today. Uh, And so we've got Bibles in English and Spanish up front to the back and uh, to center point as well. And if you've got a smartphone, you can download Uversion, click events, and you'll see Grace Point Vegas. All I ask, if you're on Uversion, don't skip ahead. Let me get you there, okay? That's all. I'm, now you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to see where it's going. What are you going to say to me, Pastor? Like, just don't skip ahead. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Are you ready? Okay. Hear the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, speaking to Christians, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, hold right there. Simple questions. Talks about bodies. Our bodies matter. We use our bodies for worship. So, who do you worship with your body? And the answer is? Okay, God, Jesus, either one will be fine. Okay, uses the terminology conformed. Conformed means how you are molded, the shape of you, what you're going to be shaped in likeness of. So who are we supposed to allow to conform us? And the answer is? God, Jesus, either one will be fine. It says in here that we need our minds renewed, okay? And so we need renewal of minds. Who is going to renew our mind? How does he renew our mind? With his what? Okay, cool, cool, cool. That we are to test and discern and find out what the will of God is. How do we know what God's will is, what God likes and dislikes? And the answer is? Man, you guys are killing it. So I'm going to ask you a question now. Don't answer. 
but I am going to, as best I can, force you to answer this question at the end. And here's the question. Will I conform to the word of God or will I conform to the world? Will I conform to the will of God, the word of God, or will I conform to the world? Now let me give you a summary and catch you up from last week. Maybe you missed, you can go back and listen to it. I'll give you a little catch up. Uh, last week we talked about God's wrath and it's revealed to all unrighteousness and basically the idea is that all humans are accountable to God and he has a wrath and it's not like uh, our type of anger or wrath. It is a holy and just and perfect wrath and it's in response to uh, humanity offending God, his ways and his word. And last week we were in Romans 1 verse 18. You can go there now. Verse 18, uh, Matt Butler preached for us last week. It was masterful. Go back and listen to it. But uh, Romans 1, 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, and unrighteousness of men, of humanity, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. And so Matt gave this uh, great illustration of, think of it like a spring where we keep pushing down upon the truth. We push it down, push it down. We press it down. Here in a little bit, you're going to say that not only do we press it down, but we exchange the truth for a lie. And so what, here's what we do. It's like we as humans, we see the truth kind of in, uh, standing over there and the lie standing over there. And we're like, I don't want to go with truth. I want to go with lie. We go over with lie and we hang out with lie for a while. And we're like, hey, lie, you know what we should do now? We should go buy a shovel. And lie is like, that's a great idea. And so we go get the shovel and then we beat truth over the head with the shovel. And then we dig a hole and we bury the truth. That's what suppress the truth means right there. That's, that's what we're doing. And we are exchanging the truth for a lie. And listen, listen, it's not a, a mental situation for us. It's a moral situation. We, we instinctually, because we're created in the image of God, we know what's right. We know what's wrong. God gives us this moral compass. However, uh, morally, we don't like what's right and what's wrong. We want to do what's wrong and not do what's right. And that's why we, we uh, suppress or exchange the truth. We want to deny the truth because if we deny the truth, we can deny reality and we can do whatever we want and say whatever we want. Am I right? I was reading this article recently, and if you've been watching the news, it's been all over the news. Uh, Jeffrey Hinton, anybody heard this article? Je Jeffrey Hinton, he is the godfather of AI. You know what AI is, right? If I got to explain that, we're all in trouble. Artificial intelligence, that chat GPT and all that good stuff. Well, he just stepped down from Google uh, and he starts, uh, he's, he's really speaking out against a little bit AI that there's some massive risk for AI. And he said this, here's the danger. He, he worries about misinformation that the average person will not be able to know what is true anymore. And my response is, too late. <laughs> Our Bible's already said we don't. <laughs> Apart from the Bible, we don't know the truth. And so last week we discovered that even God is screaming his truth out through creation in order for us to stop partnering with lie and grabbing the shovel and beating uh, truth over the head and burying a hole and, and, and burying it. So how does that work out for us? Look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they, humanity, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man, birds and animals, and creeping things. We traded God for his creation. And he says right here, even specifically like animals. Now, some of you are super smart. You're like, you know what? I would never worship an animal. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You would never worship an animal. Hey, by the way, uh, what's the mascot of your favorite sports team? Is it a cardinal? Is it a ram? Some of you are like, I'm good on this. I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan. Hey, did you know that, that uh, uh, the Cowboys are a lot like an animal? It's the possum. You know, they, they play dead at home and get killed on the road. You think that's the most offensive thing I'm going to say today? Hang on. But in reality, when you look at this text, you can see it's pointing us back to something. It's pointing us to the garden. R remember the garden where God gave, uh, he created humans and gave them the world and said, hey, don't do these things, but do these things, worship me. And what, what did Adam and Eve do? They worshiped who? who? Who got into the garden? Satan in the form of what? Creeping thing. The reality, us humans, we love to worship creation and not the creator. And so God is not going to stand by and let that happen. So what does he do? He deploys his wrath. 
What does this wrath look like? And now we're at our text for today, verse 24. Therefore, because of all this, God gave them up. Hold that phrase. God gave them up. In the loss of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for lie and worshipped. So it's a worship issue. Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I love how he puts that, who is blessed forever. Amen. Like this little doxology right there. Now, notice the phrase in verse 24. It said, God gave them up. If you're to look with your eyes down at your text real quick, you see that phrase in verse 26. You see that phrase in verse 28 again and again. So what does it mean when it says God gave them up? Here's the answer. It's not that God gives up on you. It's that God hands you over to you, to where you get you exclusively. Now, some of you are like, well, what does that even mean? Well, be reminded that God not only saves us from sin, Satan, and death, but God also saves us from us. God saves you from you. Isn't that great? Now, that makes us ask the question, well, Ty, are humans you know, good or bad? And if we were to really look at humanity through the lens of the Bible, the answer is bad. But listen, we are not as bad as we could be. There is some restraining that God does on humanity. He doesn't allow us to have us uh, chased with some Coke or some ginger ale. He doesn't allow us to have 200 proof of self. He holds us back. But this God's wrath is he's giving us over more and more to ourselves. Is the world getting better or the world getting worse? Think of God's wrath in two stages. This may be an oversimplified way to look at God's wrath, but stage one is that God gives you over to yourself. Stage two is that God gives you over to himself, and that would be hell. That would be punishment. Now think about it. If God has not gotten in your way of you sinning, we might be led to think, well, like God doesn't care and God doesn't mind. It must not be a big deal to God whatsoever. He's just letting me do what I want to do. And I'm getting away with it anyway, so he must not mind. But if you're getting away with sin over and over and over, perhaps that is his wrath in your life right now. We've got pictures of it, and I think the New Testament. What about Judas? Judas looked like a good Christian to the end, didn't he? I mean, he's one of the 12 in the beginning, right? What, what about the prodigal son? I know it's a parable and all that, but the prodigal son looks at the father, says, you're dead to me, give me all my money. He has to you know, take up the land, sell it, gives the prodigal all the money. Says he goes to the far country, in the words of Tim Frazier, to go spend all that money on ladies of the night and booger sugar, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so... It looks like he's being left to himself in order to come to his senses to come back to God. Why? Because our worship is reserved for only one, and that is for the Creator, that is for God Almighty. When you look back at verse 24 and 25, you see it's all about worship. He's talking about worship. He says right into verse 25, we, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, the created See, worship is not just about songs sung in church, but worship is all about life. And the question I have to ask you is, who do you worship? Now, you're sitting in here. You're good people. You're going to say, I worship God. In here? What about out there? I mean, what is your priority in life? Who do you sacrifice for? Who can tell you no? Who has ultimate authority in your life? Whom do you serve? When you start answering that, you really figure out who your God is. And for many of us, we can worship all sorts of things. We can worship great things. We can worship our marriage, our families, our children, our job, our stuff, our approval, our comforts, our entertainment, our fun, all of that. Why? Because listen to me, you and I, we're always worshiping. You're always worshiping. We are created as worshipers. And right here in this text, we have two options. You ever notice that God is, is pretty binary in thought, light and dark? Righteous, unrighteous, heaven, hell, male, female. He's pretty binary in thought. And right here he gives us, there's two options to worship. You will each either, either worship the creator and enjoy his creation, or we will worship creation and we become the creator. And that's where we get in trouble. Look back at verse 24. I want you to know something. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their, what's the word? Bodies. Bodies among themselves. Humans, we worship creation. And one part of creation we worship or at least worship with is our bodies. Every human has a body, am I right? 
We're embodied souls, right? And I would argue that the body is the apex of God's creation. It's one of the most complex and complicated and beautiful things is the body. And, and, and it's good. God gave us the body and it's a part of his creation. It's really good. But although our bodies and self is good, it is not God. God made humans. God made the body. God made the body a very specific way. He made it binary. It's male and female. Go all the way back to Genesis. You're going to see how God's creative order works. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. What does it say? Male and female, he created them. But the text in Romans says we exchange the truth for a lie. And so what do we want to do? We want to reimagine and re- remake our gender at times. And if we can uh, identify in the gender we want or a different gender and we can have our identity in our sexuality, we all of a sudden say, hey, I am the creator of my own identity. I am the creator of own sexuality. I am the creator of my gender. I get to identify who I am. Then that just means this. And follow this train of thought with me. If I am not in the right gender or the right identity or right sexuality, then the creator who said he created me, he must have made a mistake. And that means God is at fault. And that means that God has sinned against me, and that means that God must repent to me. Now, do you see how serious Paul's argument is here? that we exchange creator for creation. And when we get in, we worship creation, we, we become the creator of self. And then we get to look at the creator and say, oh, you're wrong and I'm right. You must repent to me. Major problem, major problem. Verse 24 again, says, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Lust, what does lust mean? Typically have sexual connotations and here it does as well. But just know that lust means uh, basically over desires. It's like we have, we have exaggerated desires. It's not like that we just have desires for bad things, in which we do at times, but we have desires for, for God's good gifts that we usually take and we make gods out of them. We have over-desires. Think of sin like this. Uh, sin is typically we take something good and we either exaggerate it to a place where it's not supposed to be in a sinful place or we diminish it. You know what I'm saying? Like think about sleep. Uh, when it comes to sleep, sleep is a good gift from God. Am I right? And anyone who tells you that they slept like a baby apparently has never been around a baby. Am I right? (laughs) That's where you get a throat chop from a mom, right there. Uh, But sometimes we diminish sleep because we're like, you know, I remember hearing this as a kid, sleep when you're dead and we've got too much to do and we're too busy. We don't have time to sleep. When this is a good gift from God that he uses to recalibrate our bodies, we're ignoring that. We're diminishing that. There can be sin in that. Or we exaggerate it and we sleep all the time and we become slothful and lazy. Let's talk about food. Uh, who in here loves food? I love some food, right? Uh, sometimes it's diminished to where like, we look at food as like, you know, it's just sustenance, you know, soil it green or whatever it is. That way it just gets us through. No one got that reference. Awesome. It's just, it just gets us through. I don't care. Just give me mush. You know, the matrix, that's better. Um, just give me mush just to get by. But we, we forget to enjoy it. That God's told us to enjoy it, be thankful for it, taste buds and all that. Then sometimes we exaggerate it. I mean, we watch the Food Network. It's a whole network about what? Food. And people call it food porn, which sounds gross. And so we just exaggerate things. We lust. We want more and more and more. It's devastating our lives and the lives around us. Oscar Wilde said it like this. When the gods, he used lowercase g, he's being kind of funny. When the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. Because we pray, give me that promotion, give me that stuff, give me that person. God's like, if I give that to you, you're just going to destroy yourself. And yet we get it, it destroys us. Perhaps failure and unanswered prayers might be one of the greatest graces from God. You ever thought about that? Now, Paul's talking about these, this lust, this over-exaggerated desires. And now he's going to talk about sex. And he begins to talk about sex in the general sense. Look back at verse 24. He says, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to, what's the word? Impurity. So lust and impurity has sexual connotations. He talks about bodies, what we do with our bodies there. We remember we read that from Romans 12, but we're supposed to worship with our bodies. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about sex. Have you ever read the Bible? A lot of sex in that thing. A lot of, a lot of sex going on there. And a lot of it is exaggerated, meaning like how humans grab a hold of it and exaggerate it 
and worship it as God because that's what humans typically do. We typically make, make idols out of God's good gifts and we worship them. And so when it comes to sex, we need to understand that God created it. It was, a, it was a part of God's creation. Remember, he made Adam and Eve, and the Bible says they were naked and there was no shame. God gave them the gift of sex with one another. It's not like Adam and Eve were walking around the forest one day and Adam tripped and fell on top of Eve and was like, whoa, what's that? What's going on there? <laughs> nope, God gave it as a gift. And then he puts, he puts parameters around his gift. He's like, this is, how you, this is how you keep from worshiping it. This is how you keep from uh, using it in, in terrible ways. He says it belongs to a man and a woman in a covenantal relationship called a marriage for a lifetime. That's what God said. It's throughout the Bible. And yet, uh, we see throughout the Bible where humanity, us, have gone awry with it. I was uh, doing my research, and one pastor, he pulled out all the sexual, uh, forbidden sexual acts in the Bible. And I'm going to put them on the screen for you because I want you to see them. Uh, number one, fornication. That's an old school word, right? For, what is fornication? Uh, sex outside of marriage. Like uh, not being in a covenant uh, relationship of marriage and having sex. And for some of you, that's going to be an awkward conversation on the way home. Second one, <laughs> adultery. I mean, it's in the Bible. Adultery, that is where you are in a covenantal relationship and then you have sex outside of that covenantal relationship. That's called adultery. And then Jesus takes it one step further and says, well, you might not commit the act, but if the heart of lust is there and you lust after someone and you really entertain those thoughts, that's sin as well. And that's where we all should say, uh-oh, uh oh, three polygamy. Uh, there goes my sister wife's joke. Um, that's like having more than one wife, more, more than one husband at one time. Number four, rape. That's taking advantage of someone against their will. Uh, the Bible talks about that quite often. Incest. Uh, that's when uh, that's in family uh, homosexuality which we'll pause right there, uh, hold that. We're going to talk about that in just a bit uh, because our text talks about that. Bestiality, that's with animal, that's in the Bible. Prostitution, uh, paying for sex, uh, that's in the Bible. Number nine, sexual morality. And when you get to the Greek word, it's where we get the word porneia. What's that sound like? Pornography. And then you see uh, and hear a lot about pagan sexual activities. Uh, there's a lot of that within the Bible as well. You go through a list of 10 of those, we're probably all guilty in one way or another. Maybe in our past, maybe in our present, for sure. For sure. For one pastor say it like this, when we have our Bibles, there is a point to where you're supposed to look through it like binoculars to know how to look at culture and all that. But be careful that we don't just look through our Bibles of like trying to find sin in everyone else's life. Make sure that we take our Bibles and use those as mirrors, as James talks about. The words, we're supposed to look at ourselves first. I think when we go through a list like this, I think we should look at ourselves first. But the question we got to start asking is, back to our text, is why is Paul singling out sex? Why is he singling out sexuality? I think it's, it's a warning light that signals that moral chaos is coming. When humans don't get sexuality right, it's moral chaos ensues. Go to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. And so you, you, you see the language right here. It says dishonorable. Dishonorable passions. That's an act described that does not honor nor please God. Dishonorable means it, it offends God. The offense is because it does not align with his design for human flourishing. And in these verses, it describes from verse 26, female, and then verse 27, male. So he's talking about male and female. And it, and it says uh, men and women, I believe. But when you look at the original language, Paul's doing a wordplay there. He's saying male and female. When he says male and female, what is he trying to trigger our minds back to? Genesis, right? Male and female. He said that like, this is not supposed to be this way. Uh, now, in this text, this text is a very controversial text. Recently, many have attempted to su suggest that the traditional understanding of these verses is a mistake, that this refers to people who act against their own nature 
or that it refers only to promiscuous homosexual sex and not long-term settled same-sex relations. Some will also argue in this text it's referring to pedophilia that's forced, uh, pagan temple worship, or slaves being sexually abused, which all happened in that time period for sure. However, there is nothing here to suggest that Paul only has some kinds of homosexual acts in mind and not others. I mean, think about Paul. Paul's a cultured and traveled Roman citizen. Paul would have been very familiar with long-term, stable, loving relationships between the same-sex couples. So this does not stop him from identifying them as not the Creator's intent for human flourishing. I mean, think about Paul. Paul's emphasizing the sin that's all around him. If you remember from week one, he's writing this letter in Corinth. Corinth was like the sin city of the day in Asia. And if even you look and do a little bit of study of, of culture back then, Greek culture taught that homosexual love was the purest and highest of loves. Many upper-class Greek maintained male lovers alongside their wives. It was no different in Rome as well. History tells us that 14 of the first 15 emperors were homosexual. Look back to the text in verse 26. I want to show you. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange, what's the two words right there? Natural. Natural relations. For those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, so he's saying this is what it was, and were consumed with passion for one another. So Paul uses the language contrary to nature, literally meaning against nature. This means that homosexuality is a violation of the created nature in which God has given us. So what is our nature supposed to be? Who gets to define our nature? Is it going to be God or is it going to be creation? Again, go back to Genesis. In Genesis 1.27, we read it earlier. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. He created two sexes. If you skip down a little bit, this is where Adam, he's been looking at animals all day long, and then God puts him to sleep, pulls out a rib, makes Eve. This is the first time he's seen a human that's like him, but not quite like him. And this is what he says. He breaks out into a poem, to a song. He says this, uh, Genesis 2.23, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What does one flesh mean? It means sex. I mean, a part of that, that uh, I'm trying to think of a tactful way to say this. That male females fit together. I don't know. Like, how do you like, they, they, they work. Puzzle pieces, as someone said, not me. I'm just quoting. Puzzle pieces. Now, reason with me. Before there was ever a command of don't eat that fruit, there was a command. What is the first command of the Bible? It's not don't eat that fruit. It's in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and God said to them, or God commanded them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He's telling them to procreate. That's what that, be fruitful, it means to procreate. You know how that happens, right? Do we need to stop and have that discussion? <laughs> Homosexual acts ignore God's order and cannot fill the earth. What Paul means by natural is just that. These other relations are contrary natural law or in the way God created human beings to exist and to flourish. So homosexuality is sin against God. And I would argue against humanity as well. To go against nature is therefore to go against God and God's design is a good design. It's not a fluid cultural matter. It is a, an unchanging creation matter. It is timeless. I know we want to say, hey, we're a new generation. We think different. No, it's the Bible is timeless. God is infinitely good and wise, and his designs are best for our good and for our flourishing. That's why he prohibits anything outside of his design, because it leads ultimately to death. It does not lead to human flourishing. So homosexual activity is contrary to God's will, because it's contrary to his creative nature and order. Then in verse 27 of Romans 1. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts 
with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. He uses language like consume with passion, shameless acts, their error. He's saying these are, neg- these, are, these are destructive things is what he's talking about here. See, sex is much more than just chasing a partner. It's much more than just two bodies. It's much more than rights and abilities. Although you may have rights and abilities, although you can, you, you might not ought to because this is against God. And also sex is worship. Remember verse 24? He's tying all this together. N.T. Wright, great uh, New Testament scholar, says this. He says, homosexual behavior is a distortion of the creator's design and such practices are evidence, not of the intentions of any specific individual to indulge in such practice for its own sake, but of its tendency within an entire society for humanness to fracture when gods other than the true one are being worshipped. What he's saying right here is that humanness fractures because it's worshipping something other than the one true God and homosexuality is the result of that. So the question is, who gets to define sex, gender, and sexuality, the creator or creation? The Word of God tells us and informs us about sex. There's male and there's female. The bodies go along with that as well. The anatomies match male and female. Now I can talk about the less than 1% with abnormalities that are abnormal. We can go down that route as well. But the vast majority are created male Female, that's what the Word of God tells us. The world tells us, no, you can, you can define your sex. The Word of God tells us there's gender and there is sexuality and male and female and what that's supposed to look like and play out. The world tells us, no, it's fluid. You can do whatever you want to do with whomever you want to do that with. Don't answer yet. But my question for us Christians, will we be conformed by the word of God, or will we be conformed by the world? Will it be the creator or creation that we will worship? I mean, in this text, it says nature and natural. Not the way we are now, but the way we were before sin entered the world. This is what God has designed. Now, some of you hear this so far, and you're like, you know what? This, this is offen- offensive. This is offensive, Ty. And, and, and I'm offended. And, and I got to push back on that a little bit. Have you ever thought about God being offended? Have you, have you ever thought about God looking at us? Even if, if as a Christian, God would look at us and think, why are you thinking? I'm offended by your thinking these things. Have you ever thought about God being offended by that? Have you ever thought about God being offended by what we call good and evil because perhaps our good and evil is kind of skewed? Well, let me tell you what he says about this in Isaiah 520 when the, when the law of the land was pretty uh, messed up back then as well. Isaiah 5.20, woe to those. Like, is woe good or bad? That's not like Joey from Blossom going, woe, Blossom. God, that's old sounding. I heard it when I said it. It's not that, it's a bad woe. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We worry so much about others being offended and all we're doing is offending God. Time out. Let's pause. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Take a deep breath. This is hard. This is very hard. The Bible is plainly calling homosexuality a sin. And that is going to cause an emotional and probably a, a, a deep feeling or deep reaction in all of us, one way or another. I mean, perhaps some of you here, when you hear this, like this is really troubling because you have had or have same-sex attraction. Perhaps this defines your relationship now or maybe has defined your relationships in the past. Perhaps all of us have someone in our circle that's same-sex attraction or lives a homosexual lifestyle. Maybe it's a friend, a family member, a child, a co-worker, a, a parent, a sibling. And it's hard to hear this. I, I, I understand. It's hard to hear. Can we, can we agree on something? Can we just kind of talk this out a little bit, though? I mean, let's, let's, start, let's start with different angles. There have been atrocities committed over the years against the homosexual community by the hands and the voices of Christians. Really have. Lots of hate speech. If you look over the years, lots of hate speech. Lots of bodily harm, a lot of exclusion from the goodness of the world. 
Christians, if not careful, sometimes we have the sin of omission or commission uh, because of our motives, our heart, our speed, our actions. And so there might be places for us to repent when it comes to people in that lifestyle. Because I would argue it's not the way of Jesus. It's just not. Jesus has told us to love God and to love our neighbor. John Calvin, you know, the Calvinism guy, because let's throw one more controversial thing out there. John Calvin, he once said this. He's the big T in total depravity of Tulip. He said this. Love of neighbor is not dependent upon the matter of men, but looks to God. The Lord commands all human beings, without exception, to do good. Yet the great part of them are mostly unworthy if we be judged by their own merit. But here scripture helps in the best way when it teaches that we are not to consider what men merit of themselves, but to look upon the image of God at all men to which we owe all honor and love. Everyone is deserve, deserving of honor and dignity, no matter what. On top of that, when you bring up a topic like this, some of you are younger than I am. I'm, I'm 46 years old. And when you hear this topic, if you're younger than I am, you, this is a non-issue to you. You've grown up into a world that has been totally accepting, tolerant, and inclusive. When you look at me, you're like, hey, old man, what's the big deal? Like, what, you roll into here in a Flintstone mobile? Like, why is this even, a, why is this even? And then you're like, what's a Flintstone mobile? And like, that just shows, it just shows. In 2005, David Foster Wallace gave a speech. It's a different one than a couple weeks ago. Same speech, different and he said this. He gives an illustration that I want, if you're younger than me, I want you to hear this. There are, t- uh, there are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the heck is water? <laughs> Listen, if you're younger than me, this is all you've ever known. I mean, from the 90s, it's been destigmatized in pop culture. Now it's celebrated. Same-sex marriage is legal in all 50 states. So probably since you've been born, it's been legal in all 50 states. Uh, if you go to public school, my kids go to public school. When you go to class, some of your classes will hand you a piece of paper and say, give us what, how you want us to identify you. Give us your pronouns. And then you turn on TikTok and various things like that. And you've got a lot going on there. This is all you have ever known. And so when someone comes up here and says all this, you're like, this is archaic. This is old and antiquated. But listen, listen, listen. I want you to hear me. Please hear my heart on this. That's why our Bible is eternal and timeless. And that's why Paul says that we need our minds renewed. It's the renewal of the mind. And so we need, we need to be shaped. We don't underestimate how much you're shaped by the world, not by God's word. Some of you here are my age and older, and you hear me talk about this, you're like, hey, what's the big deal, man? Uh, Homosexuality is a sin. It's always been, always will be. If you're my age or older, listen to me. There are times we hold that belief and that belief to be true, but we have not been compassionate about it. Not been compassionate. And then it gets politicized and it gets really ugly. And when you turn on the news and turn on anything, you hear people who are Christians saying the most God-awful things to people living in that lifestyle, and it's just not right. So that's not a right response either. And then as Christian as a whole, let's just be really honest, and you might not like this and it's okay, but let's be really honest. The culture's coming at us hot and heavy. And, and there's a movement in the culture you just need to pay attention to. Like think about in the 70s, 1970s is what I mean. The 1970s. Uh, and when the homosexual community was looking at the world around them and say, hey, guys, we're human too. We matter too. Will you sympathize with us? And we're all like, absolutely. This is, this is, we should sympathize. It's a fellow human being. And then it moves on a little bit. It starts to change. And then in the 90s, like I said, everything gets destigmatized. In the 90s, you see more in pop culture, on television, music. And they're saying, hey, we don't want you to sympathize with us. We want to normalize it in culture. And so it's been very normalized within our culture. And then you get to the current times now, and the idea is like, hey, you not only need to sympathize and normalize, but if you don't celebrate it, and if you don't celebrate it like I celebrate it, and if you're not for it, even if you're neutral to it, but if you're not for it, then you're demonized. And that's where people get canceled. Listen, I know this message. As soon as this message goes online, like I'll never be invited to the White House to pray at the presidential <laughs> inauguration. I was probably up for it, but, <laughs> but not after this. 
But it put, it put Christian, it puts us in a really tough position. It's supposed to love people, but then the Bible says this is sin. And here in a minute, it's going to say even to ally with that is bad. Well, then do, do, I, do I hate or should we just, you know what, throw in the town like, hey, we'll just affirm because that's the word we use now. We'll just affirm. What do we do? Alistair Begg, older pastor, Scottish accent, amazing. He said this, homosexual people are either hated or they affirmed. Those are the only two options. Either you hate me or you affirm me. The Christian actually does neither. We do not hate nor do we affirm. We cannot hate because of God's word and we cannot affirm because of God's word. And we have to be prepared to say that we are unprepared to rewrite the Bible in order to accommodate a society that needs the Bible and needs the Jesus who is the focus of the Bible. Listen, I'll be, I'm going to put all the cards on the table. Without the Bible, this, this whole world spirals out into chaos. It's the only thing holding things together, in my opinion. And I'll argue that from the Bible. Who, who's done this perfectly, though? Who's handled sexual immorality perfectly? And I would answer Jesus. Remember that scene where Jesus was there, and all of a sudden they caught a woman in adultery, they slung her out to the street. She probably has no clothes on. And like all you know, the religious people around, they got their rocks, they're ready to chuck rocks at her. Remember that scene? And Jesus is like down doodling in the dirt. He's like playing tic-tac-toe with the father. I don't know what he's doing. And he gets up and he's like, hey, if any of you are without sin, check that rock. And it says, from older to younger, they start to drop it. So we step back and we're like, oh, wait, is Jesus affirming? Like, is Jesus okay with sexual immorality? Hold on one second. John 8, 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go. What's that last, last phrase? Go and sin no more. Tells her, tells her to, to, to repent. He tells her to, to turn. He says that what you're doing is sinful. Turn, turn away from it. Some of the pushback was like, well, Ty, we're supposed to be tolerant. Tolerant and yes, loving people, but affirming, no. And you, you might, the pushback, be like, well, but Jesus, he's tolerant. Can I give you some words of Jesus? Which the whole Bible is the word of Jesus. But in Revelation 20, you know, it's a good day when you go there. Revelation 20, <laughs> Jesus is talking to the church and he says this. He says, I have this against you, church. Hear the words of Jesus. I've got this against you. I don't want Jesus to have anything against me. Have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and is seducing my servants to what? To practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Listen, don't miss what I'm getting ready to say. Please listen. Tolerance to what the word of God calls sin is just water on the fire of confession and repentance. Let's say it one more time. Tolerance to what the Word of God calls sin is just water on the fire of confession and repentance. What do I mean by that? If nothing is wrong and all is tolerated, then how are we supposed to confess and repent to a holy God? Without repentance, there is no need to be saved. Without the need to be saved, there's no need for a Savior. And if there is no need for a Savior, then there is no need for Jesus. And so the key is repentance, turning to the Lord, his word, and his ways. Now, some of you are super curious. You're like, well, are you saying that homosexual people go to hell? Take your finger, leave it in Romans 1, go to 1 Corinthians 6. Now, listen to Paul's strong language. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, he says. Neither the sexual immoral, the idolater, the adulterer, the men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says the people on this list, the unrighteous, the swindler, the homosexual, the reviler, the thief, the greedy, the adult, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's where we all say, oh, now, real quick, if we go back to Romans 1.16, I said Romans 1.16 is the key to the book of Romans. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? To everyone who believes. You must believe, and to believe is to turn from self, to turn from creation, to turn from evil practices, and turn to God. And so the good news is there's mercy, forgiveness, and transformation for all who turn back to Christ. Now, I omitted one verse from 1 Corinthians 6. Go back. 
1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. He gives that long list. And he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. I love that phrase. That phrase is everything. It says, it's like all that bad list. He says, and such were some of you. You, you, you have turned. The, the story of the gospel is transformation by God's saving grace. Those who have been transformed by God's grace will still have to fight sin in this life. And that fight is going to be hard and require a lot of love, a lot of mercy, a lot of grace, a lot of support from the, from the church community. But that's how we fight temptation, regardless of whatever sin lures us. We are to fight. Now, some of your pushback maybe will tie if well, people just won't be able to live them true self. And that's what we hear a lot in the culture and the world is that people just need to be their true self. Remember, don't forget, we humans have traded the truth for what? Remember, we're supposed to allow the creator to define us and our sexuality and our life, not the world and even our feelings. Remember, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be his disciple, you must do what? Deny yourself. There's a lot of things you're going to give up to follow Jesus. Perhaps you're thinking, well, you know what, Ty, homosexuality, you have the other list of sins. They're all equal, right? Well, they're all equally damnable before God, for sure. But the question is, in your sin, whatever your besetting sin is, do you hate it? Let me ask you, do you hate your sin? Whatever you're besetting, some of us, maybe it's pride, some of us maybe lust, some of it may be gluttony, some of us may be who knows what it is. Do you hate your sin? Do you confess and repent of your sin? And if the answer is no, then, then watch out. Watch out. But if it's yes, it's a whole different matter because we, we want to hate our sin, not just celebrate it, not just go headlong into it, not just call it the new good. That's the difference. Some of you may be same-sex attracted. <laughs> Some of you may be opposite-sex attracted and not married. There will be attraction. There will be temptation. The question is, what do you do with your temptation? You can submit it to the Lord. You can. You know the Bible talks about celibacy, like not being married and, and not having sex. You ever thought about that? You ever, you ever, you ever, ever, ever enter your thinking life of like, I could not have sex. You ever thought about that? Hey, let me, let me blow your mind real quick. Jesus lived to be 33 and was never married. And he never had sex. You could be like your Savior. Someone's like, I want to be like my Savior. That may be the way you're like your Savior. That's what it is. Let me keep going. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Eugene Peterson wrote a phenomenal, like, um, called The Message. It's not, it's like his commentary on The Message. It's, he said it like this. Since they did not bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose, and then all hell broke loose. And verse 29 through 31 describes it. They were filled with all matter of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Ouch. R.C. Sproul said this, homosexuality is just one sin that Paul describes in this section. If we can make it through Paul's entire list without feeling pangs of conscience, we are psychopaths. <laughs> Last verse. Though they did not know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die. He's not saying Christians take up your you know, machetes and go out there and kill people. Nope. He's talking about the separation that we have from God. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That's a tough line. They give approval to those who practice them. We, our, our culture uses a lot of ally languages, and there's some things we need to ally with people, with a lot of injustice and all that, but we can't ally with sin. We can't. Last week, Matt made this great illustration of like, why, why do we like watching those home makeover shows? Like if they just showed the finished house, that would be like a 30-second show and no fun at all. But what they do during the show is they walk around the house and show you how bad it really is. That way you could ooh and ah, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. 
That's what Paul's doing. He's going to do it for a couple more weeks, but he is going around the house with a spotlight and a magnifying glass showing us how bad humans, you and I, actually are. Why? Why is he showing us so bad? And here's the reason why. These verses are to put us in the ultimate MMA uh, armbar, not to cry uncle, but to cry Jesus. Why? Jesus is the only one that can save us from ourselves in God's wrath. Jesus is the only one who has never given in to any of these sins or others, yet has been tempted by them all. Jesus is the only one who never called evil good and good evil. Jesus is the only one who's not given approval nor affirmed humanity uh, who has practiced in these sins. Jesus is the only one who knows what's best for human flourishing, not only because he became one, but because also he assisted in creating humanity. Jesus is the only one who died for us to be forgiven, to be free, and to flourish. It's time for you to answer the question. Answer it in your heart, answer it in your mind to God. Will you allow the word of God to conform you or will you allow the world to conform you? I think that's, that's the, the question you have to answer. And as you answer that question, you're answering by default, do I worship the creator and the creator alone or do I worship creation that way I can become the creator and I can deem what's true and what's not true? I'm going to finish with this last reading. It's basically Paul showing you the negative. This is a flip. I want to show you the positive of the verses we read today. If we, this is what God wants for us in flourishing. And this is basically just a revision of the words in the positive. Therefore, God gave them over in their hearts to self-control and purity, that their bodies might be honored among them. For they kept and cherished the truth of God and worshiped and served the Creator who is blessed forever, forever rather than the creature. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to pure and wholesome lives, lived with carefree ease, even in the most intimate relationships, so that all received in their own persons the due reward of their fidelity. And just as they saw fit to acknowledge God in all things, God gave them over to a sound mind, to do things which are proper, being filled with all righteousness, goodness, generosity, kindness, full of selflessness, life, healing, oneness, kindliness. They are gentle in speech, always building others up, lovers of God, respectful, humble, self-effacing, inventors of good, obedient to parents, understanding, trustworthy, loving, merciful. And as they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are possessors of life, they do the same and give hearty approval to those who do likewise. That's what God wants for us. That's what it looks like under the lordship of Jesus. That's what it looks like to be conformed to the word of God. My email is going to be up on the screen for a bit. It's just TY at Grace Point Vegas. For some of you, this is a huge struggle. Let me reach out to me. Let's get coffee. Let's have a conversation. Like, hey, I don't know. Let's walk through this. I, I want to make myself available to you. I love you. And I want to walk through this with you. Let me pray for, for us. We'll go to the Lord's table. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is good. It is true. It is timeless and it is perfect. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see it that way? Would you renew our minds? Today, many people walked in with one thought. Would we walk out with a completely different thought about what your word says about humanity, sexuality, and worship? Would you not allow the devil to get a foothold in this? May we have clarity so we may help the world flourish as well. Father, be with us, guide us, protect us in Christ's name. Amen.